Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros College Football Look Ahead. It is a fantastic Sunday. Week one of the college football season is just about in our rearview mirror. We still have a few games tonight, but right now we are going to be taking a look ahead to next week, breaking down the lines that you need to be jumping on early. And of course, for all of that analysis, joining me here on the program, as always, the God of Thunder himself, Thor Nystrom. Thor, it is a great day. I'm feeling good coming off a fantastic Syracuse win that we are going to talk more about in this program. How are you doing today? You're feeling good. I'm feeling good. You're looking good with that Syracuse shirt on. Uh, Epic day for Dino Babers in the Syracuse program yesterday ambushing Louisville. We'll, we'll definitely get to that, but what, what a what a fun time it was to have a full slate of college football back on a Saturday. I was tickled pink yesterday. It feels so good. You throw it on in the morning, right when you wake up for me here on the West Coast, and then you just have college football all throughout the day. Made some good bets. Made actually didn't make any bad bets. I didn't make too many, but I was happy. I jumped in on Ohio State uh, at the end of the third quarter, four and a half live line. They covered that nicely for me. I was good to go. And, of course, I want to bet on my Syracuse Orange. But right now, we are putting week one in the rearview mirror. We are moving on to week two here. And that has to start off with the biggest name, biggest names, biggest game of the week here. It doesn't get much bigger than Texas versus Bama. And the line right now in this one is a whopping 18 And, you know, I was actually going to be going with Bama in this spot. I don't care what the spread is because I do not believe Texas is back. But you have some thoughts on where this game actually should be. Yeah, I I think the line is a little objectively short right now. Uh, You know, my adjusted line on this one is Alabama by 14 and a half. Keep in mind that this game is in Austin, so Alabama is going to have to travel there. But all that being said, I understand why it's inflated – you know, three and a half points roughly and only over one key number, um, which is, you know, one of the most key numbers. So like, I, I think basically by setting that number at 18, Vegas is allowing the market to bat it one way or the other, you know, wh- whether that, that comes down closer to 17 or, or whether the, the money goes the other way. And then you got a couple points to get up to 20. Um, but I think objectively the, the fair spread w- would be about 14 and a half we didn't get a ton of information on these two teams uh, on Saturday because they were both playing crappy opponents. I will say, though, I watched uh, parts of both of those games. Alabama looked as advertised, you know, and, and, and I spent all summer talking about how this Alabama team profiled as, as a team that could be one of the best of my lifetime in, in college football. They looked every bit of that. Now, again, they were playing Utah State. So it's, you know, you, you take it somewhat with a grain of salt, although Utah State did win 11 games last year, although they struggled with UConn in the opener. So, you, you know, however you want to view that. But Bryce Young having the five throwing touchdowns in the first half, he ran for a bunch of yards too and had another, a rushing touchdown. By the, by the time it was halftime, it was already a laugher. They were pulling all the starters. And then Texas, they, they didn't run away with it quite as much against UL Monroe but they were also yanking their starters super duper early. Um, this this game is going to be really interesting to see what is Quinn Ewers. Uh, we, we were not going to get an indictment of that or a referendum on that in the UL Monroe game. Um, he got his Aston Martin towed during the game, though. I don't know if you saw that on, on Twitter. No. Yeah, he, he got to tell it during, during the game. And I, I also found it funny what kind of car uh, that 19-year-old is driving. What what a life if you're Quinn Ewers. But they pulled Ewers early, which you knew they were going to do. They wanted to get Hudson card work. They pulled Bijan early, which you, you probably knew that they were going to do, um, not trying to get him hurt and everything like that. But I, I think for this game, the, the, the cliff notes of it is the objectively fair spread is a little bit lower than it is. But if you want to bet Bama, certainly understand you just have to pay a tax. I mean, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have to pay that tax. As much as I hate taxes in this particular instance, I, I am here for sitting down on my couch and watching Texas get a preview of what is to come when they join the SEC and how big of a mistake this might just be for them. I'm I'm ready to see this happening here. And the NIL deals, I mean, obviously you got this guy riding around in an Aston Martin at 19. The cash is already coming in, sure but is. they haven't really been able to buy all of the players that they want just yet. So we're still not going to see the same Texas. I, I think Bama is going to be able to walk all over him in this game. 
And also, as you know, Nick Saban's former assistants have not been able to buy wins against Nick Saban. Yep. Uh, I, I believe that Jimbo Fisher last year, when they upset him with Zach Calzada, and I'm upset in Bama, I believe that was the first time Nick Saban had ever lost to an assistant, maybe one other time, but it's either once or twice. His record against his former assistants is one of the most absurd records in, in, in all of sports. Kirby Smart. That, that that was the second one. So he's he, it's it's only happened twice. They were both last year. But I mean, prior to that, he had this ridiculously long winning streak. Um, Sark is. Th- this is not sort of the the matchup that that you're looking forward to in in week two if you're Sark. But it's certainly going to provide a very uh, definitive measuring stick for the Longhorns. So I want to move on from Bama, but before I do, you mentioned that this could potentially be the best team that you've ever seen. So you think that this Bama team is better than the two a year? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. The, the offense, I, you know, I, you can't put it up against 2019 LSU. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that, I mean, cause the, the, you know, you're, that one is like the most dominant modern off, maybe even the most dominant uh, offense in college football history. But th- this, this offense for Bama is just a step below that, I think, but their defense is better. Um, I want to see, you know, and this is going to be a great one, you know, when they play a team like Texas with all, all the offensive weapons that Texas has, but they play an offense like that. And then some of the, the SEC offenses that, that they're going to face. I want to see how that defense does, but they have so many studs on that defense, of course, led by Will Anderson, who appears to be the second coming of like Derek Thomas cross with Lawrence Taylor. That kid is stupid. Like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. You, you don't often, you know, where, where you're watching the defender and you can't take the eyes off of the defender, but whenever Will Anderson is on the field, you're watching Will Anderson and not the opposing offense. It ridiculously good. And, and that kid's probably as close to a lock to go in the top three in April as you can possibly get at this time, especially for a defender. All right, now moving on from Bama, moving down the board here, another big matchup or at least – a big brand name rivalry matchup here. We have USC versus Stanford. The line's at 10 and a half. And you think that this one is a little bit like right around where it should be. I, I do. Yeah. I, you know, and, and USC, the, the lines, it's one of those things when you're running your numbers on Sunday, they're one of the first teams I look down to see where that number ends up pop, when it pops up of, cause you know, I'm always curious what, or this season, I'm going to be very curious what their spreads are every single game. Cause they're another team like Bama where, you know, you would presume that you would have to pay the tax. The interesting thing about, about this one was last week, we, we had talked about that where it was a bit over on, on rice, you know, against my number USC ends up covering it pretty easily anyway. Cause the, the defense ended up uh, stepping up. They had all yeah. these different pick sixes. Um, Stanford, it's a totally different thing where Rice, they don't really have a quarterback. They, they play like three of them and none of them are good. Stanford, that's one of the things that they're the best at. They have an NFL prospect at quarterback in Tanner McKee. And this line, going back to my original point and, and, and to what you were saying, very in line, um, my projected uh, number with the Las Vegas spread. The, the line opened at uh, USC minus 10 and a half. My line's actually USC minus 11.2. So, you know, conversely, I, I actually am showing just the slightest uh, bit of value on USC, but this is a very tricky matchup for them. We talked last week about how they were going up against Mike Bloomgren, David Shaw's former offensive coordinator, and what Bloomgren was going to try to do to keep that score closer. He wasn't able to succeed because of how bad his quarterbacks are. Now now USC goes and plays the real David Shaw, right? The, the, the mentor to Bloomgren. And, and Shaw can actually do it. Um, they, they have a bunch of ballyhoo guys on their offensive line, but the really important thing for Stanford in this game is, will that offensive line take this step forward when last year they, I don't know another way to put it, they, they stunk, especially in comparison to what their recruiting pedigree was. It, over the offseason, did that group jump up any? Stanford needs to be able to control this ball, or the, uh, they need to be able to move the chains on the ground. And if, if they're able to do that, McKee through the play action passing game is going to hit some exp- explosive passes, but that that's definitely going to be the key for them. I also just thought it, it's notable to note that, that this line is not being taxed by Vegas, you know, for, for USC, like the last one was. That is an important thing to watch out for. I mean, they were able to steam rice last week. This one, like you said, the quarterback play going to be a little bit of a step up and this is a rivalry game. These teams do hate each other a lot. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting one. Ten and a half, eleven 11 points. Wherever the line ends up falling, I might actually have to throw something on this. Want to track all of your wagers in one place? Check out the Betting Pros Pick Tracker at bettingpros.com slash pick tracking. 
It syncs up with your sports books to tally which picks hit and which miss and gives you a live look at what the public is doing so you can use real-time tracking to determine which plays to make and which to fade. Get on the leaderboard and quickly become a sharp by using the free advice we have to offer at bettingpros.com slash pick tracking. But let's move on here to Baylor because they are absolutely on fire after that week one win and they're going to be taken on the Storm and Mormons of Brigham Young, BYU only a three point oh, wait am i reading this right byu favored in this one yeah yep yeah the byu opened as uh was a three point favorites my my adjusted line or i'm sorry byu opened in vegas as a two and a half point favorite my adjusted line on it is byu minus three in my power ratings these two teams are very very close byu you know, they, they get the few extra points because of the home field advantage that's basically why they're favored by the two and a half by, by the three um it's an interesting game right like baylor i felt that the market and the sports books were sleeping on them over the summer i i thought that the 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 win total number that that the sports books tossed up for baylor seven and a half was disrespectful there weren't many teams where you looked at it and you're like wow that's that is not a lot of respect in comparison to what we just saw that team was and, and what they have back and stuff like that. I was definitely and am definitely higher on Baylor than than the market and then the, the the sports books are. You mentioned their first game. They you know they opened against an FCS team, but what was really you know the, the defense dominated. Of course, the team they were playing couldn't move the ball at all. But yeah, the, you all you Albany great Danes. Yeah, the, the great dates. Yeah, the the more notable thing was Blake Shapen looked awesome. He was the quarterback that they chose over Jerry Bohannon. Uh, Jerry Bohannon was Baylor's starter last year. He did a decent job. You know, Baylor made a, a big bowl game. They won double-digit uh, games. But Bohannon was a bit limited. He was a dual threat who could who could get the ball down the field, but he had some accuracy issues that 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 the coaching staff felt held back the offense. So they actually named Blake Shape and the starter coming out of spring ball. And I had asked my uh, my Baylor contact. I, I said, I said, you know, I, I want to be like, uh, what's his face on the NBA, ESPN NBA, when he says, now, why would they do that? A win horse. Yeah. Um, what, what, now, why would Baylor do that? Why would they tell their starter from last year that he is not going to start in spring ball when you know that he's going to transfer once he hears that news? And what my Baylor contact told me was, exactly. They, they wanted to slough off Jerry Bohannon. They wanted to, to give this, this job to Shapen and let Shapen know, like, it's, it, it's your job. They knew they were going to lose Bohannon, and they were cool with that. So Shapen looked good. The passing game looked good. But the starters were getting yanked early. So, you know, we don't have a referendum on the whole thing yet. BYU, we were just talking about uh, Jerry Bohannon. They actually opened with, with South Florida, who, who is now starting Jerry Bohannon, that starting quarterback. Yeah. BYU annihilated uh, USF, which the past couple of years would not have been impressive. USF was one of the worst teams in, in all of college football. I do think that they're significantly improved this year. That was not the matchup to show it, of course, but they had a whole bunch of starters back and they had Bohannon back. So I actually think beating them by 29 on the road is, is impressive, you know, like contextually. This one, the, the spread of the, the game is probably too close for me to end up betting this. But I am super bullish on Baylor this year. And so I'm definitely going to consider that if that line stays beneath three, it's a game I'm going to handicap this week. And if by the time I, I decide on, on where I want to go with it, if it's still uh, beneath three, I'll consider laying uh, a bet on, on Baylor. But I, I did not bet that one yet today. Now the next one up here, it was an upset and a heartbreaking upset for you. Utah losing to Florida in Gainesville and now – Florida, they are going to be five and a half point favorites against Kentucky in their next matchup here. And you think that now the pendulum is swinging back the other way. Florida is now getting too much respect. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, if that game, Utah was basically what I thought they were going to be. You know, Utah played really well and they, they had control of that thing for the longest and longest times. And then Anthony Richardson just pulled out the Superman cape at the end of the game, uh, punctuated by that absolutely ridiculous play on the two-point conversion where Utah had him dead to rights two different guys uh, rushing free and he sloughed one of them off and then he ran around the other one and then hit a guy wide open in the end zone no, no one is even close to him 
and th- they end up winning by three. But if 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 that thing had gone, a couple of those other bounces had gone against them, I think this game, you're talking about a, an opening line that would have been much closer to my adjusted number. As is, Florida opens a five-and-a-half-point favorite, which struck me as a little bit rich in the moment. I ran my numbers. I have Florida minus 2.6 in this game. I think that tax, it's only because of what happened at the very, very end of, of that Utah game. Florida did look a bit better than I thought they would, for sure. I mean, like we had talked last week on the show about the couple specific areas that we needed to see Florida, like sort of actionable against a good team, the offensive line and then the defense. The offensive line absolutely looks better. Um, that kid that that Napier brought from Louisiana, this enormous o- offensive guard, like 330 pounds, he was really good a- against Utah. And then I think some of the other guys around him, the, the returning guys, have gotten a little bit better as well. They don't have to play for Dan Mullen and that dippy uh, offensive line coach they had anymore either, so maybe, maybe that helps as well. But Florida's a bit better than I thought, you know, seven days ago. But we can't forget about Kentucky either. Um you know, like t- talking about like uh, uh, Anthony Richardson putting on the Superman cape. Will Levis, you know, looked really good uh, yesterday as well when they were they played Miami of Ohio. Not the best opponent, but Levis went twenty-one for thirty-two, three hundred and three yards, three touchdowns. Showed off the mobility again. And Miami of Ohio, they're not like a bottom fifteen team. Like they're they're you know sort of a mid-tier G five, not an FCS team, or it's not like UMass or something like that. They controlled that game, you know, and and put them away emphatically in the second half. This is a fascinating game where it's it's which quarterback is going to show up and and sort of like, um, it, you know, like how do I put this? When when we're leaving that game, who are all the announcers going to be like? That guy just proved that he is the guy to go in the first round. You know, he just planted his flag like in the first round. The 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 whoever wins this quarterback matchup is they're probably going to end up covering the spread. I I do like Kentucky in this game. I just I think that the, the that the line is too high. I would be a little bit surprised if the line doesn't fall back a little bit. I I would expect it to be closer uh, to you know to four by by kickoff. Vegas sort of put that, you know, I was talking before about the dead zone that they had set that other number in. They put this one in there as well at five and a half where they're going to let the, the the market sort of decide and, and bat it one way or the other. But it, with that many points, I like Kentucky. Now let's move on here from some of these larger games, the big brand names, and let's go and talk about some of the games that you actually do feel uh, the spreads are very much off and where we do have some betting advantage here. And let's start off with the largest discrepancy you have between your line and Vegas, Arizona versus Mississippi state. U of a seven and a half point dogs at home in this one. And you think that that line is just playing off. I do. Yeah. And it's, um, this is an interesting stance for me to take because all of last week I was talking about Arizona um, on my my live stream with with Mike Farrell, you know, yesterday, Thomas is the producer on that. Um, you know, I was talking about, you know, Wildcats, take the Wildcats on the money line, stuff like that. They end up upsetting San Diego State. They were one of the most surprising teams of week one. Sort of what I had hoped and some other people in the industry that were sort of bullish on what Jed Fish was doing, their head coach behind the scenes, uh, you know, th- this past offseason, signing a top 25 recruiting class, signing close to a top 25 um uh, transfer portal class and everything like that. We knew that the talent was better. They're going to be way better at quarterback, way better in the receiving room. The defense was going to improve again, et cetera, et cetera. And all that stuff, we could see it on the field yesterday against against San Diego State. Arizona, they, I mean, it wasn't a close win. They ended up winning that game by 18 points. You know, at, at halftime, they were up 24 to 10. They never looked back. Delora looked really good for his debut there, 22 of 35 for 299 yards, four touchdowns. The kid who looked really good was the receiver that they brought in from UTEP, Jacob Cowing, eight catches, 152 yards, and and three touchdowns. But all that being said, I feel like that upset win, sort of that emphatic upset win on the road, like I I feel like Vegas knew that there was some sharps that were circling Arizona, a bunch of people that had bet the over, you know, a bunch of my my sharp friends had bet the over on that, was a very low number, three, three and a half, something like that over the summer. So so they knew people were bullish on Arizona. Then they watch Arizona go out and absolutely whip uh, a San Diego State team that is always solid every single year, you know, that they're winning double-digit games are right under it in, in, in the G5. I feel like this line has 
way overcorrected because I, I feel like the sports books are sort of trying to protect their backside from getting hammered on Arizona again, like they did in week one. So, so they flipped this line to try to incentivize bets on, on the other side. My, my adjusted line on this one was, it was like Mississippi state. Let me pull it up real quick. I, my adjusted line in this game is Mississippi state minus 14.1, but live what it opened at was Mississippi state minus seven and a half. I think that line needs to be in the, the double digits. I recognize that the game is in Arizona. That's fine. Again, I, I loved what fish did. I was advocating for him, you know, in the summer and then last week as well. But this Mississippi State team is really, really good. And there is an, I think that there's an enormous qualitative difference between these two teams that you're going to see manifest on, on the field on, on Saturday. Arizona was impressive in week one. So was Mississippi State. Mississippi State looked friggin' awesome. And they, you know, they were probably playing a team. Well, I, I guess maybe you'd say that, that they were maybe close coming in, but they were playing Memphis, an, another super duper solid G5 team. Mississippi State boat raced them. They beat them 49 to 23. Will Rogers threw for 450 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, and, and, and now they're going and playing this Arizona State team where probably their biggest question mark is on defense. The, the line's too short, and it's an overreaction to what Arizona did. I, I like Mississippi State in that one. The next one up is uh, going the other way a little bit here. Penn State playing Ohio. Not Ohio State, but just Ohio. The spread in this one, Penn State by 25 and a half. And you don't think that's enough points to be giving them? Yeah, I mean, you know, you asked me on the show last week, we, we, we had a discussion about this, about when do you bet, you know, with, with the really high numbers, when when it's, you know, around – you know, when you're getting over 24 and you're getting up high 20s or into the 30s. And, you know, I, I told you I, I generally stay away from those games. But when I bet them, it's usually on the underdog in situational spots where, you know, where I think I'm getting the advantage there. Um, this one is is one of those rare instances where I, I actually like the favorite in, in a game with a big spread. I was surprised this line uh, was released at 25 and a half. Seems it seems at least three points short to me, to, to be honest. My adjusted line on it is Penn State minus 31.2. Um, Ohio, and, and you know, they, they probably got a, um, a couple of points of credit on the spread, Ohio, for beating Florida Atlantic on, on Saturday. Florida Atlantic was a team that in week zero had had blown out um, – they, they blown out an FBS team, one of the – was it Charlotte, right? They, they beat Charlotte. So, you know, and then, yeah, they – so, so Florida Atlantic had beaten Charlotte by 30 points in week one. Then they turn around and Ohio beats them. I, I, that's really the only thing I, I can I can point to to explain the, the close to six-point discrepancy here, why Ohio is, is getting this kind of uh, credit. But Ohio, it's not like they were, like, awesome in that game. Like, they, they had to, to fend off Florida Atlantic at the very end. Nikosi Perry, Florida Atlantic's quarterback, threw for 364 yards and five touchdowns in that game. Ohio was getting ripped on, on their defense. Uh, I'm okay with Ohio. Like, as far as a MAC team, I think I was a little bit higher on them than some others heading into the season. But this is a totally, you know, different animal heading into to playing Penn State in that environment. And with where this line is set, the, the value is on the favorite. And it's one where I would bet it early in the week because I expect by kickoff that this thing is going to be north of, of 28 points. So if, if you grab this one now and get it under 28, that, that's a ticket you're going to be want to want to be holding on Saturday, I think. Now, how about this battle of two teams that uh, Syracuse has a bit of a rivalry with here? We've got Northwestern going up against Duke and Northwestern eight point favorites in this one. And same story. You feel that this is not enough. No, I don't. Yeah, we, we got the nerd ball here, don't we? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the live, it opens up at eight. My my adjusted line on this game is Northwestern minus 13.4. So I have an overlay of, of five point uh, four points of value showing for for Northwestern. Duke is another one where, you know, it, this is going to be the example in several of these games where I talk about where the value's on the other side. Duke looks surprisingly good in week one. They beat Temple 30 to nothing. And I think that's a part of the reason why this line opens up beneath 10, where I think it probably should open up like more like 10 and a half, 11 range, something like that. Um, you got to keep in mind, Temple is an abomination. They, they have been for years. It is not getting any better. And, and you know, the, the last guy they had in their carry or whatever, they, they got rid of him. But the, the talent level had sunk so far on, 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 on that squad. And they did not go out and sign the transfer portal guys, I think, that I would have being a new coach taken over, like a sort of a cratered out situation like that. There was, there was more 
continuity than I would have liked because um, the continuity was was bad players. And that that's what we saw in, in week one. I'm not going to give Duke a whole bunch of credit for blowing out a, a bad Temple team. Northwestern, they beat a legitimate team. We, we you know, in, in, a, in a very wonky uh, circumstance, you know, when they in, in week zero, you go uh, to Dublin and you beat uh, uh, Nebraska um, in, in a game where you had to come back um, and you know, the offense played very well. Um, and, you know, they, they had to sort of, you know, get a couple bounces and then they, they had to have Scott Frost help them out with this stupid onside kick call and, and everything like that. That was incredible. It was that crazy. Was just nuts. Vintage Scott Frost. Oh, yeah. How uh, yeah. is he still there? Yeah. Every single close game, it's, it's you know, all the close losses, he, he figures out a way to, to snatch defeat from the, the jaws of victory. And then that, yep. that was the way he did it there. But, but that being said, even if Northwestern had lost that game by a field goal as opposed to winning it by a field goal, I still would have been way more bullish on them than I was heading in. Um, you know, we had sort of talked about, like, offensive line, really good uh, for Northwestern. Skaronsky's a round one prospect, stuff like that. We knew the backfield depth was going to be awesome because Cam Porter was coming back, and Cam Porter looked good. So did, so did uh, you know, Claire and um, uh, Hall specifically in, 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 in their first game. But Holinsky, he was the guy, the, their uh, Northwestern's quarterback, where that was the thing that you wanted to see because Holinsky was terrible last season. He had transferred in there. He had like a truncated, weird camp. The coaches had given him a lot of excuses and were like, you know, like over the, the off season, they were talking up Holinsky as this guy whose game was going to jump up. You know, now that he, he'd been around the team for a year, now that he was going to get a full camp, everything like that. There was a lot of pessimism in the media expressed about Holinsky's ability to do so. But he actually played really well. Like, you know, it was Nebraska, but but he, he played really well in that first game. I, I, I think Northwestern is not getting enough uh, credit in this game. Like I said, I think this spread should be, you know, low double digits, like minus 10 to minus 11 range. Minus eight is too short. Uh, Northwestern is one of the tickets that that I'm currently holding that I that I bought this morning. So I, I, I like Northwestern in that one. Guys, real quick, remember when you're looking for free picks and sports betting advice, bettingpros.com has you covered with tips from over 150 experts to make it easy for you to cash out. Download the app to get sports betting alerts. You'll get notified of favorable bets based on line movements, consensus picks from the most accurate experts, and vetted systems in play. Betting Pros monitors all of the major sports books, most accurate experts, and top systems to identify the best betting opportunities. So download today in the Apple or Google Play stores. The next one up here for us, and this is a bit surprising to me, but maybe not surprising, but New Mexico takes on Boise State, and Boise State on the road 17-point favorites despite the absolute lackluster performance yesterday. Yeah, and and my line and the, well, let's touch on that first. Boise State man was at a, a, a shocking game and just an absolute terrible performance. I, you know, I don't know if that was just so. So what? Hank Bachmeyer, their quarterback, ends up getting benched after in the first half after he, yeah. he he had turned the ball over three times. By that point, the game was already so far away from Boise that. Like it wasn't like the backup quarterback came in and actually played pretty good. And and mm-hmm. I'll talk about that in a second, because that, that's a kid that, that may be starting in this game. We'll, we'll have to see about that. But like by that point, the game script had gotten so far away from you. It was hard to take stuff from that. So it's like, was that game just Hank Bachmeyer woke up and on the wrong side of the bed and then just sort of gave that game away before. And, and it, it's not going to be predictive for these next 11 games or did we get sort of a little insight into new Boise state, you know, like that we, we expect Boise state to always be a specific thing. They're one of the most consistent teams in college football. Could that, could that um, game yesterday have been an indication that, that they're going to be taking a slight step backwards this year? Um, this game probably is not going to provide the referendum on that. However, if they don't cover this number, then it, it might be pointing towards that. Uh, my number on this game was, you know, it opens at 17, Boise State minus 17. My number on this game is Boise State minus 22.4. So so I'm showing value on Boise State. However, I will say that number does not bake in injuries or, you know, like quarterback questions or whatever. You know, it's, it's just sort of like, um, uh, you know, in, in a vacuum, right? Yeah. So you have the quarterback thing going on at Boise State. They also had a couple key injuries 
Um, they had a rotational injury, or I'm sorry, a rotational receiver who broke his leg, who's going to be out for the season. But they thought this kid could break out this year. So th- that one hurt. Austin Bolt, what was this kid's name? They also lost their top cornerback, Markel Reed, uh, to an injury in that Oregon State game. It looks like both those guys are going to, well, certainly Bolt is going to miss this game. It looks like Reed uh, could miss this game as well. He needed a cart to get out, off the field. So they might be without one of their top corners. The, in this game, though, that shouldn't matter quite as much because New Mexico, they don't really throw the ball. Um, they had brought in uh, one of my former friends at University of Kansas, backup quarterback, Miles Kendrick, who's like this little teeny squirt of a, of, of a quarterback who scrambles around. And New Mexico is trying to fold more option concepts into the offense this year, I think because they knew they weren't going to be able to throw the ball anyway. So they're trying to run, run, run. So maybe, maybe the, the loss of Reed doesn't hurt as much. But the bigger thing for Boise State in deciding, you know, or, or in informing if they're going to be able to cover a number at, at 17 right now is what do they do at quarterback and how does that guy play? If they go back with Bachmeyer, do we get the Bachmeyer we got the last couple years, you know, where he's steady Eddie in the pot? So, you know, remember Brett Rippon, for, you know, from Boise, say like a guy like that, or a right-handed mm-hmm. Kellen Moore maybe, you know, m- m- maybe a step back from that fight, something like that. Or are you going to get bad Hank again? And Or are they going to go with the freshman, this this kid that they played in, in the last game, who is totally different from the Boise State quarterbacks that we've seen in, re- in recent years. This kid's name was Talon Green. He, he became the first Boise State quarterback to rush for over 100 yards in a game since 2014. And he did that in, you know, two and a half quarters or whatever. Finished 19 for 28, 155 yards. Did, did throw an interception, but he also ran for, for two touchdowns um, in addition to running for over 100. It's a very interesting decision there. I do think that there's some value on Boise, but I did want to mention some of those other ancillary factors that could explain why this number is a bit lower um, that, that, that Vegas opened this, this number a bit below what my projected numbers are. The next one up, the Terrapins take on Charlotte in Charlotte and the spread in this one, Maryland favored by 25 and a half points here, Thor. And you think that maybe shouldn't be that high? No, I don't. Um, now this one, you can certainly explain it because Charlotte has looked like Charlotte's looked like legitimately one of the worst teams in the FBS over over the first two weeks. They get smacked around by an FAU team that turns around and loses to a mid-tier MAC team in Ohio. And then the next week, Charlotte loses at home by 17 points to FCS William and Mary. Um, and it's not great. No, it's not, it's not great. And like you you could be like, well, you know, at least Charlotte was was leading heading into the fourth quarter. But then someone else could just counter like, but they got outscored 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter by an FCS team when they'd lost, when Charlotte had already lost their opener. Like it's not a must win game, I suppose. Like it's Charlotte, but like that, that's a game that you can't lose. You know, like you just, you can't lose that after you just coughed away the opener. So now Charlotte's 0-2 again, have not looked good. But Charlotte does have talent on that team. Their receiving core in particular is, is very, very good. And it did look like Will Healy was about to make a jump last year before that team cratered down the stretch. And now they've started even worse than they ended last year. The one thing I will say about, about Charlotte, I am showing this, this line value on them. Um, a part of the offensive struggles they had have coincided with the injury to Chris Reynolds, their starting quarterback. They, they tried to go with this James Foster kid who, who had uh, – he, he had signed with Texas A&M originally. He transferred in there so you could understand why Charlotte would want to go with him. He's not looked the best so far. Um, they've also tried this kid, kid named Xavier Williams. Williams looked better against uh, William and Mary. He threw for a little over 200 yards, rushed for two touchdowns. But they're going to have to figure something out with that quarterback situation until they get Reynolds back. That being said, Charlotte is a side that I'm going to be sniffing around – um, this week, because in my opinion, Maryland should not be laying near four touchdowns on the road to almost any FBS team. Maryland does have the good uh, passing offense, but the rushing offense, I, you know, I, I'm not sure about that yet. I, I think that's that's not, you know, that, that's like an average or a little bit below average FBS type unit. And then the defense has had all kinds of issues, too. So if if, if, if uh, Charlotte's offense is doing anything at all, um, it's certainly if the quarterbacks can get the ball to that really, really strong receiving core that Charlotte has, I think that Charlotte should be able to stay within this number. 
The next game up here is a Big Ten matchup. At least I'm pretty sure it's a Big Ten matchup now. Both of these teams, I think this team has moved into the conference. Michigan is going to take on Hawaii in this one in the big house. And Michigan laying 48 and a half in this one. Yeah, um, I mean, much less Hawaii gets an invitation into the Big Ten. They, they, after the, I, their first couple of games, they, they might need to worry about getting kicked out of the MWC. <laughs> Legitimately one of the worst teams in the FBS. I, I legit want to see this. I, I want to see conference realignment end with Hawaii in the ACC. Make it the Any Coast Conference. Well, that, that would be good. You know, I, I would love it if they were in the Big Ten. As an Iowa grad, being able to travel to the away games, there would be no better road trip than, than Honolulu, of course. But Hawaii, you know, we're talking about different levels and context of this stuff. But for where they were, one of the most disappointing teams objectively over the first couple weeks of, of college football. The first game, they got absolutely boat raced by Vanderbilt. Um, I, I had heard a quote where Vanderbilt, like they were talking about how like uh, they weren't even scoring that many points against like their scout team. And then they go put up 60 plus at Hawaii. And then the next week, th this past week, um, Hawaii had another uh, just an absolute stinker of a performance. That one was at home against Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky the week before struggled mightily to put away an FCS team. Then the next week they, they have to travel 4,000 miles to Honolulu and then they they beat the crap out of out of Hawaii. Hawaii has not been able to find a starting quarterback. That's you know that that's their biggest issue right now because obviously Timmy Chang, the, the new coach, bringing back the run and shoot. You have to have a guy there that can throw the ball. They they tried they started it out with this Brendan Schrager kid. I knew Brendan Schrager stunk because I watched him last year when when Shavon Cordero was was injured. He has okay arm strength, but he's one of those kids that can't hit the broadside of a barn. Like his accuracy is is really really bad. Um, and so, you, like, you had him, and the last game he threw four interceptions. He only had uh, 230 yards on 33 attempts. Then they, they went to Joey Yellen at the very end of the game, a guy who had been a Valley who had recruited at his former stop. He wasn't much better, 4 of 11 for 36 yards and an interception. We haven't seen Kamon Cooper yet. He was a four-star that had signed with Mike Leach at Wazoo back in the day. They might want to give Kamon Cooper a look because these other two kids are not it. Hawaii, again, one of the worst teams in, in the FBS. Now you go to, to Michigan, a team that has been very, very good, um, especially since the start of last season at covering large spreads, which you would not typically associate with them. I believe that Jim Harbaugh is 5-1 and one against the spread in his last six games as a 30-plus point favorite. That probably – those two things, Hawaii's thinking and then, and then that, probably in conjunction explains why – this line, you get sticker shock when you look at it. Like, it yeah. yeah, I mean, it opened um, – right now it's 48 and a half. It opened lower than that. Um, it, it was funny. When the lines opened today, I think it opened at 40 – it was like at 45 or maybe 46, like something like that. And one of my buddies who's a Michigan alum had texted me like, oh, my God, like, have you seen the Michigans? You know, your eyes kind of bug out when you see it. Um, and, you know, and I, I told him what my adjusted number on that game was, which is Michigan minus 43.8. But then, you know, in, in the couple hours between when I was texting with him and then coming onto this show, that line, the early money is very clearly coming in on Michigan. That line's yeah. already up to Michigan minus 48 and a half. By the time we get to kickoff, we, we may have the Michigan Wolverines laying over 50 points, which oh, is going to be absolutely crazy and bonkers. But in this case, it's probably justified. My system is showing uh, a little bit of line value on Hawaii. I don't think I can take the Rainbow Warriors up on that, though, after what I've seen and, and because of Jim Harbaugh's recent success at laying enormous numbers. Tommy DeVito and the orange and blue of Illinois did not get it done for us this weekend, but now they play another orange team here in the Virginia Cavaliers. And they are laying three and a half points in this one. And you think that, the, quite frankly, the wrong side is favored here. I do. And, and don't get me started on that Illinois-Indiana game. That was game. brutal. I, oh. I tailed you on that. I tailed oh. you. My gosh. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, not only did I, I bet the sides and stuff like that, and I had money line tickets, I, I also had a Illinois in, in, in a couple parlays. Um, and so where, where they were the only leg that ended up losing, um, I, I, had a, I had a joke on Twitter that I got Bielema'd. Um, yeah. I, I still, I still want to know 
how did they wave off a too many men on the field penalty there and redo the down? That made no sense to me. There was a lot of things about that game that, that, yeah. that didn't make any sense. And yeah, Bielamo, you know, at times he was like acting more aggressive than you would think, you know, with some decisions than other ones. He was acting way too conservative. Like, like even Mike Zimmer was watching the game at home and being like, you should probably go for it there. You know, or yeah. like, you know, you know, whatever. It, it, it was just a really weird code for game. At least Bielema had some self-awareness after the game and is like, this one's on me. Like, you know, we, 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 you know, probably should have won that game and yada, yada. Um, this game, you mentioned the line opens at three and a half. It's sort of a similar situation to what we were talking about last week, you know, with, with Illinois just in flipped where Illinois, you know, my, my system had them as a short favorite and Indiana had opened as a three and a half point favorite in this one, uh, Virginia, my system has, them installed as the 1.1 point favorite. So I'm showing 4.6 uh, points of line value on uh, on on the Cavaliers. In or I'm sorry, Illinois very clearly delineated team. We we know what we're going to get from that from them. They're going to play in all these these close games that are going to be decided by coin flips at the end, unless the team is just you know way way better than them. Virginia. We're going to have to see, um, but they, they have so much talent, specifically in, in, in the passing game um, with you, you have Brennan Armstrong back and then the receiving core. I, I think this is maybe what people don't realize. They have one of the best receiving cores in the FBS. They legitimately go four deep with guys that are going to play in the NFL. Um, the rest of their team is, is what they're going to have to sort out. But you have a dominant passing attack on, on the one side. I, I think that they match up pretty well against against Illinois. Like, Basilac stinks and Indiana's receiving course stinks, but they, they had some successful uh, passing plays a, a, yeah. against Illinois. Illinois does not have uh, th the best secondary. And so I think Virginia is basically going to be able to move the ball at will against them. I do think Illinois is going to be able to do the thing of, of running, but if Illinois wants to go score for score with Virginia, I don't think it's going to turn out well for them. And sp speaking to something that we had talked about in a previous episode about how Bielema wanted to go more up-tempo with DeVito, th they're not playing breakneck pace, but they are playing a bit faster th than we've seen in recent years. Bielema seemed to, to be leaning towards wanting to do that all season. If, if he comes into this game and sees how fast Virginia plays, because they're a team that plays at, at the breakneck pace, if Virginia could sort of reel Brett Bielema in, to even ticking up uh, his pace of play a little bit more, it, that is going to play into Virginia's hands, not into Brett Bielema's hands. This is the kind of game where Brett Bielema needs to coach like he used to and run that play clock down to two every time before the snap. They need to keep, they need to, Illinois needs to protect their defense in this game, give them as much rest as possible before the next time they have to defend Brennan Armstrong and all those receivers across the field. But I do like Virginia in this game. I think the wrong team is favored. All right. I I will probably be telling you on that one for sure with Virginia. But right now, let's move to another team in orange here. And it's an OSU team as well. Oregon State is going to head down the interstate on the interior of California to take on Fresno. And Oregon going to be favored by a point in this one. And again, another case where you think the wrong team is the slight favorite here. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's another instance of an overreaction to a, a week one game. Oregon State, as we were talking about a little bit ago, looked awesome against Boise State in the opener. They went thirty four to seventeen, and it was a game that essentially was over even before halftime. At halftime, that game was twenty four to nothing, and like I said, you know Bachmeyer had been benched, and they they bring in this freshman, et cetera. Uh, you know, so so you have that, and and I think that they're you know that you're going to have to pay a little bit of a, a, a tax on 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 Oregon State if, if you want to go to that side. Meanwhile, with with Fresno, they, they look pretty good too. It's just you know they weren't it wasn't as marquee uh, of a matchup. So I I don't think that they're quite that Fresno State is quite getting the respect probably that they should be. Week one they played an FCS opponent Cal Poly. They beat the crap out of Cal Poly, but it's you know it's Cal Poly whatever. But remember, Fresno State brings back an NFL prospect, a quarterback, legitimate one in Jay Kaner, who's going to throw for a billion yards this year. He had 377 uh, last week for two touchdowns, went 36 for 42. That's that's pretty stupid. They also, um, inter interestingly enough, they brought back a couple good, uh, really good wide receivers. They seem to have found another one in the transfer portal. This kid named Nico Remigio, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He had been a Cal uh, for a couple different years. And, you know, it was just like a solid sort of veteran. 
Um, I, there wasn't as much excitement about him as, as some of these other guys that had entered the transfer portal. Fresno State signs him as a transfer in what I think is going to come to be viewed as a very, very sneaky signing. Um, Remigio broke out in the first game, nine catches for 100 yards. He was getting peppered with targets right from the jump. I think it's very possible that Remigio was just caught in an awful circumstance with Cal because that's a team that that does not want to throw. You know, Justin Wilcox, their their coach, former defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, very much plays in that you know Brett Bielema ethos. You know, of of slowing the game down, not not as much throwing, uh, clock control, running the ball, stuff like that. Remigio looks like he's a player for for Fresno State. Fresno State has a bunch of guys coming back as well. I like Fresno State a little bit more than than Oregon State, just in a vacuum. And Fresno State is is, is the team that's at home in this one. My line in this game is Fresno State minus two point three. Vegas decided to open Oregon State as as the very small favorite at minus one. I, I think in large part because of that performance against Boise State. But a lot of that stuff I don't think is translatable. You're not going to get three you know, first quarter turnovers from Jake Hayner, like you did in that game. And then the next three quarters, you really don't have to play the game. This one, they're going to have to earn. And I, I like Fresno state. The next game up here, a lot of offense last week. I was really quite frankly impressed yesterday in four innings, a good work for the Iowa Hawkeyes winning seven <laughs> to three over South Dakota state in what is the weirdest scoreline you may ever see. For three first quarter points, three second quarter points, and two safeties in the third and fourth quarter to get us to seven. You don't see that every day, but can they get the offense going against Iowa State in this one where they're three and a half point favorites? Not only do you not see it every day, we don't even remember the last time we saw it. Um, my, my friend Eric Edholm with, from NFL.com and put out a tweet that it was the, it, at least through the year 2000, since the year 2000, no other team has scored exactly seven points via two safeties and a field goal. So at least Iowa was figuring out a creative, creative way, way to win this ballgame. Their defense also ended up outscoring both of the opposing offenses. It was also hilarious, the, uh, the two scoring drives. You know, there, there was two field goals in the game. And yeah. I, of course, I watched every down. You probably see my, my mug. I'm an, I'm an Iowa grad. So I subjected myself to it. The two scoring drives... One of them, Iowa's field goal, they had gotten the ball in awesome field position because they pinned um, uh, South Dakota State really deep. And so then they punted it, and, you know, they returned it like to the 35 or something. It was a three and out where they gained five yards, and then they kicked the long field goal. That was their field goal. Then then the, the scoring drive for South Dakota State, they picked off Spencer Petras, the Iowa quarterback, who absolutely stinks. They, they pick him off in Iowa's side of the field. They did get one first down on that drive, but that was it. It was like seven plays for like 12 yards was that drive, and then they kicked the field goal. Whole, whole point being, Iowa's offense is absolutely terrible. But as I said on Twitter yesterday, this is the most Kirk Ferentz team that has ever existed because this may be Kirk Ferentz's worst offense, and I'm talking of his career. You know, 20-plus, he's been there forever. Uh, it it is really amazing that a team can somehow make Illinois three possessions inside the 15 with zero points, not the worst offensive performance of the week. Right. I mean, in, indeed you, you combine that awful offense with what is going to be, if not the best combination of defense and special teams that Ferentz has had at Iowa way up there, like, you know, top three, Iowa's defense is nasty. And we knew it was going to be nasty. They're bringing back a whole bunch of guys. They have several stars on that defense. They have stars at every single level, all American candidates, certainly a linebacker. And in the secondary, super duper nasty. And then their special teams are really, really good. Like the punter that they have, this kid named Tory Taylor from Australia, probably going to be in the NFL. He's got a big, big leg and he is awesome at the, the directional kicking, but also like the coffin corner, stuff like that. So I was able to do the thing of just, you know, the, the paint dry thing, you know, and just playing the field position game. And then, you, you know, you're around midfield, you, you pin the other team deep. So you start with the ball midfield. You don't do anything on offense. You punt it back to them. They're, they're pinned way back again eventually something will happen for you, but that's how it's going to have to happen sort of for Iowa this year. It appears um, it, at least until their starting running back uh, comes back because Gavin Williams did miss the first game. Uh, I think that was something that was a little bit overlooked. He'd been ruled out uh, right before it, you know, so, so maybe some people overlooked that, but uh, LaShawn Daniels, the, the backup didn't have the best game. I think he ran for like 70 yards, but it was on like three yards of carry. Part of that might've been offensive line stuff. You know, I mean, it's it's not because he's necessarily super duper limited, but it's also because 
uh, South Dakota State realized pretty quick into that game that they could just stack the box because Spencer Petras is terrible. Spencer Petras wouldn't even be starting in the FCS or shouldn't even be starting in the FCS, in my opinion. You want to talk about accuracy averse and lacking pocket presence. So that is what Iowa is going to have to overcome this year. Um, But again, nasty, nasty top three defense maybe in the entire nation and top three to five special teams unit in the nation. But then like a a bottom 20 uh, offense out of the 131 FBS teams. That's the combo you got there. Iowa State, we're we're still going to have to see on them. We we haven't gotten uh, a whole bunch of information because they played Southeast Missouri State in the opener. Did win 42 to 10. The, the new kid that they're starting for Brock Purdy, this Hunter Deckers kid, he looked pretty good, 25 for 31, 293 yards, four touchdowns. The running back that took over uh, for Brees Hall, uh, another young kid, Jareel Brock, he looked pretty good too. He had 104 yards and a touchdown. But again, it, you know, it's it, it's an FCS opponent. Iowa State had turned over a lot of a lot of their roster this offseason because this was the year that, you know, we, we knew that like, uh, Campbell was building it up towards last season when they had all the the seniors. You had Purdy and you had Brees Hall and you had Kolar and you, you know all all the different guys that they had. They they lose all those guys. This is more like the new look young Cyclones. So we'll have to see when they play a real opponent. Specifically, that you know it's going to come down to to Deckers and 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 to Brock. Can Brock run it all on this Iowa defense? I'm not sure that he will be able to. I I really don't. And then Hunter Deckers you know, what is he going to give you? Hunter Deckers is certainly more talented than Brock Purdy. You know, Brock Purdy is more like your Ian Book scrambling around noodle arm kind of a guy. Whereas Hunter Deckers is like a legitimate four-star, you know, that that was like an enormous recruiting win for them. But we've never seen him, you know, like over a full game against a good defense before. So this one's going to be really interesting. I am showing line value on the Hawkeyes. I think this line was was open a bit short, especially in lieu of the fact that this game is in Iowa City. It was open short because of how brutal Iowa's offense looked, and fair enough with that. But my my num- numbers in a vacuum have, have installed Iowa as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So I'm showing a little bit of line value on Iowa. You're just going to have to hold your nose and hope for the best with that offense. Now, one more game here before we get to your hammer of the week. UAB versus Liberty. Liberty catching four points in this one, and you think that is too many points for them to be catching. Yeah, with with it, with an asterisk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the UAB opens as a four-point favor on the road. My adjusted line uh, was UAB minus 1.6. UAB had a dominant uh, defensive performance against a subdivision team in, in week one. They did not have their starting running back, Dwayne McBride. You're going to want to check on his status if you're interested on either side of this game. Uh, Dwayne McBride is one of the best G5 running backs last year. So it'll be interesting to see if he plays. But on the other side, we have really big injury news that I think is also playing a part in the the way that this line opened. Uh, Liberty had signed Charlie Brewer from Utah via Baylor, where, where he started his career. Uh, in the transfer portal, in an attempt to replace Malik Willis at, at quarterback, Brewer, you know, starts out this game and then he gets injured right away. And he is out for, I believe, the next two months. Um, he's out for the timeline they gave him was, was six to eight weeks. He has a broken hand, which he Ooh. suffered in, in their overtime win against Southern Miss. So he's going to be out until, you know, what, uh, late October, probably. So what Liberty did when when he first went out of the game, because it was pretty early, they brought in this veteran backup that I had never heard of. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to get a quarterback into an FBS game that I've never heard of. It is this kid named Jonathan Bennett, I guess, but the, Bennett stunk. He went, maybe this is why I'd never heard of him before. He went seven for 18 for 38 yards. And so then Hugh freeze did probably what he should have done right at the start. What he, he went to the bullpen for Caden Salter for people that don't know Caden Salter, Caden Salter, came out of high school, was a Ballyhood recruit, signed with Tennessee, was a consensus top 175 overall recruit, solid, solid four-star recruit. It was top 10 overall uh, quarterback as well. Uh, dual threat kid was was not only a star on the gridiron, but was also fabulous in track and field, like in you know, all the different events, the 300 meters and the, the different sprints and the hurdles and all that different stuff was a star. Um, but he signed with Tennessee and he got in trouble off the field almost immediately after he got there or it came to light one or the other. Tennessee didn't really have an option but to, to say, hey, kid, you got to get out of here and boot him off the team. 
So then he was available. Liberty, which would never get act, you know, sort of like with Malik Willis, although Malik Willis had been on campus for a couple of years at Auburn, just couldn't get on. But like you don't usually get access to this kind of recruit or those kind of athletes unless it's a special circumstance like that. They, they bring in Keaton Salter and sign him. Then he, he opens the season as QB three, but he quickly gets into the game because of Brewer's injury. And then this Bennett's thinking and Salter looked Awesome. Uh, very, very good. Um, in, in a game where it was very, very nip and tuck kind of a game, if Salter had not played the way that he did, Liberty would have lost that game. They, they ended up beating uh, Southern Miss in multiple overtimes. Uh, but Keaton Salter went eight for 13 in that game, 148 yards, two touchdowns, 65 rushing yards. I, I think the important point here, assuming that Keaton Salter is going to start on Saturday, haven't heard word on that. I would be stunned if Hugh Freeze decides not to start him. Talent-wise, between him and that that Bennett character, it's not even close. Um, but the, the interesting thing to note about Salter is his game is far more similar to Malik Willis than Charlie Brewer, the guy that they expected to be starting this year. There was modifications that they had built into the offense for Charlie Brewer, who is more of your he, – he's a pocket passer. He's a pocket passer with a noodle arm. He, but he, he does have pocket presence. He does have accuracy. He just can't get the ball down the field. You're not going to get much utility with him running the ball. Again, Keaton Salter is is way more on the, the Malik Willis phylum. Extremely athletic kid. Has a strong arm. You know, he's the very loose sort of arm action that you associate with with Malik Willis. Nobody has that kind of arm strength, but more more in that vein, certainly. So Liberty now, Hugh Freeze is going to be able to go back more to the concepts that they were doing last year. And a lot of the returning skill guys were already super comfortable with. So I actually, you know, you see a G5 team that, that had signed a guy that we all knew of in Charlie Brewer, a guy who had thrown for over 10,000 yards in the P5. And then you see he gets injured in week one. Your, your natural assumption would be, oh, man, that, that team's going to be a dog until he comes back. That They're for sure a fade. I actually don't think that in this case, because if, if Keaton Salter takes over, as I expect him to, the ceiling of your offense now goes up. What you had with Brewer is more of the cost certainty stuff. But don't forget, Charlie Brewer was a guy who two or three games into last season, Utah could not move the ball at all. And they started out like one and two or whatever. They, they were they told Charlie Brewer essentially to they definitely yanked him out of the starting lineup, but then Charlie Brewer's like, fine, I'm I'm taking my ball and going home or whatever. Right after that, Utah's offense got awesome. It didn't get worse, it got way better. Uh, yeah. when Cameron Rising took over, just took an enormous jump up. So I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. I do see some line value on, on Liberty here. If you're interested in Liberty, though, that this is a situation that I would monitor. I'll, I'll be monitoring it. But if, if I was you, look into the reports, look into who they say that they're going to start, different statuses like that. If it's Salter, though, th this is a team that, that I'm going to be potentially looking to back here over the next month. All right, now it is time, my friend, for your hammer of the week. And I know where you're going here. And you know, it's the one game we haven't talked about. We said we were going to get to here. The greatest football team in the state of New York, my friend. Dino Babers, risen from the dead. We were on a phone call last week where I told you Syracuse is between a rock and a hard place where they want to get rid of him, but they can't because of his contract. And then here we go right out the gate. I'm not saying we want Bama. I'm saying we want Buffalo. Josh Allen wishes he could be the dual threat that Garrett Schrader is here. Syracuse takes on the Huskies of Connecticut as 20 and a half point favorites here in this one. Oh man, that's that, that's a tough act for me to follow. Uh, it it must have, at your place yesterday, last night, it must have been like manna falling from the sky. You know, when, when Syracuse was just absolutely running it up on, on Louisville, one of the most stunning, like, I, I know that you're a Syracuse guy, but objectively, one of the most stunning uh, results of week one, Louisville goes in there as, I, I think the, that line closed at, like, Louisville minus five and a half, Louisville yeah. minus six, so somewhere in that range. They got annihilated. Uh, Syracuse beats them 31 to seven. After the first quarter, it was 10 to seven. It was close-ish. From there on out, it was all Syracuse. Louisville couldn't do a thing, and and Syracuse was was essentially doing whatever it wanted to. It played a. a there was a brief stretch where Tucker uh, got pulled out, but you know that was a heart attack inducing. We everyone in my college group chat just went, "Oh, yep, 
there it goes. That that fr- that f- fleeting figment of happiness that we had is gone. And then he came back in the game. We couldn't believe it. And and, and that's the important thing for, for both Syracuse fans and then people interested in betting on, on Syracuse. By far their best player, Sean Tucker, comes back into the game, looked fine in the second half. So his, his availability will not be compromised going forward. Garrett Schrader looked pretty good too. And I think that, and I'm talking about as, as a thrower, as good as you're going to get Garrett Schrader to look, I think that that's notable because – Babers over the offseason did something really interesting. I'm not going to go back to my, my Brian Winhorse, but he did something that was that was very interesting where he got rid of the offensive coordinator, brings in Robert Anai from Virginia. The only reason that Anai was available was because his buddy Bronco Mendenhall, who he had worked for, you know, under forever, um, he Bronco Mendenhall decides to walk away from the game. So then Virginia brought in, you know, the Clemson offensive coordinator, and he wanted his own guy running the offense. But Robert and I is, is you know, uh, going back, you know, uh, decade plus, he's viewed as, as one of the most respected offensive coordinators in the game. And his strategy has always been this quick hitting sideline to sideline passing game that then opens up the rest of it. And then you can start playing tempo. You start confusing the defense, get them tired and, and stuff like that. What was what was interesting thinking about him melding with this personnel was Syracuse their the their foot that they were led with and the the thing that they were by far the best at it was that physical uh, rushing attack with you had both Schrader and then you had Tucker where it was yeah. like it's like sort of uh, option concepts but out of the the shotgun you know it's like sort of, it, it wasn't Rich Rod West Virginia but it was like. You know, it was more in, in, in that sort of a vein of an offense, and they were not throwing nearly as much. You wondered if Schrader, who's a big kid with, with good mobility, has a decent arm, but the, the accuracy has never been there. You wondered how that would translate. At least as far as game one goes, the returns are pretty good. 18 for 25, 237 yards, and two touchdowns, throwing the ball. And, of course, Tucker looked good as well. You, you wonder with that is, you know, w- what was this? Was it that Syracuse is way better than we think? Is it that Louisville was way worse than we think? Is it a combination of both? Not We'll have to see on that in these weeks coming up. But absolutely, Syracuse is better than we thought coming into the year. And I think that there's reasons, again, that you can explain it. They're going to be better passing the ball this year, and that is naturally going to keep defenses from stacking the box, which is the only way that you could stop Tucker and, and the Schrader ground game last year. Um, looking into this one, this line opened at Syracuse minus 20 and a half. They're at UConn. The the surprising part to me was that it did not open up north of 21 and a half, particularly in lieu of that result against Louisville. And maybe that was just an opener where you're coming off the night games before. So maybe that whole thing had not been baked in. I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to explain it. Otherwise, my, my line on this one was Syracuse minus 25.4. And, and I like UConn a decent amount. Like, I, I backed them in, in week one when they had that, that competitive game against Utah State. Um, last week, they, they beat an FCS team. Their offense really didn't do much, but they, they only gave up three points. But, you know, an in, in, in FCS team. But I like them fine. They definitely give effort uh, for, for Jim Moore. They're going to be better than they've been in seasons past. But they're going to have major problems on offense here. And, and the, having a good offense against Syracuse is where you'd think you'd be able to score points, although they just held a team that with Malik Cunningham – multiple yeah. NFL running backs and some NFL receivers to seven points and and zero, literally zero in the last three quarters combined. So, so we'll see maybe Syracuse defense is significantly better than we thought, but UConn's offense, major problems, both with, with the, the personnel overall, but then also the quarterback that they thought was going to be their quarterback, but also like, you know, one of their two best offensive players, Taquan Roberson, who Jim Mora had signed from Penn state, Roberson had been the top backup to Sean Clifford. He brings him in and was going to build the offense around him. And then they're running back Nathan Carter. And then, you know, try to do, you know, maybe sort of a sort of a version of what Syracuse did last year of just running the ball a lot, the clock control uh, things, you know, that sort of stuff. But Taquan Roberson got hurt immediately in that game against Utah State. The backups that they have tried have not been good. Uh, with with UConn that was the reason why they lost to Utah say I I believe if Roberson had not gotten hurt in that game I actually think UConn probably would have sprung the upset Um, like I I think the difference is that big between him and his backups and and UConn was in that thing until the the bitter end the backups also did not play very good um, this past game Uh, like I said they they were playing the FCS team Central Connecticut they win 28 to 3 the the quarterback that they played uh, this Zion Turner 
Um, he threw for 172 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. His QBR was 26.9, so so not not terribly impressive. He's also he also does not give you the level of mobility that Taquan Roberson does. That that, that was what where, what his foot was led with. I think UConn is going to be overwhelmed here by Syracuse. They're going to be overwhelmed certainly by the the rushing game. You can you can put it in the books that Tucker is going to have two two home runs at least uh, on the ground. And then if Schrader is throwing as well as he did in the last game, I think UConn is really, really cooked. I also struggle. You flip the ball or you flip it to the other side of the field. I struggle to see how this UConn offense is going to move the ball with Zion Turner, uh, you know, the, the backup quarterback. Until Roberson comes back, they're going to have issues there. I do like the running back, Nathan Carter. Nathan Carter is a good player. He's a legitimately good player. He's going to get a look from the NFL, maybe as a UDFA. Maybe he can sneak in, in, into one of the last rounds, but he's a legitimately good player. But Syracuse is going to be able to gang up on them as Syracuse was frustrated last year when everyone decided to gang up on Tucker. So they're going to be able to give UConn a little bit, a taste of the medicine that they had to choke down last year. Now they can throw the ball. Now the defense is better. I think Syracuse is going to boat race UConn on Saturday. I mean, I certainly hope so. My biggest worry with this team was the penalties. The penalties in that game were absolutely ridiculous. They need to get those under control. But even with Jim Mora, even with UConn looking not quite like the UConn of old, maybe definitely for better, but how much better? I, I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm excited about what this team is doing. In one week, one game has completely made me do a 180 from, well, we're a basketball school. It's time for basketball season already to, okay, hang on a second. Dust off that uh, number one, dust off that number one trophy. We might be, uh, we, we might be making a college football playoff run here. Yeah. How, how far you've come in, in five, six, seven days. You know, I, yeah. I remember we, we had that one phone call where, where you were, you were pretty low on Dino, you know, he- heading into this season and, and stuff like that. And then n- now we have the 31 to seven one and, and you're like the coach in, in, you know, like in the, in the locker room after the game, who's just want to blow it, who's like yelling at the defense because they gave up like one long completion. And then you're, you're talking about the penalties. I, I love this. I, I and, and I think Syracuse is heading towards 2-0. and And Dino might be rallying back here into the good grace, a guy who was on one of the hottest seats, if not the hottest seat in all of college football heading into the season. He basically took the flames from his seat, walked them across the field, and added those to the inferno that is now around Scott Satterfield. The, the pressure's gone down a little bit on Dino. I think it's going to go down a little bit more after they, they take this gimme win against UConn. And then you start talking about, can Dino get back into the bowl game? He's been there. This is year seven now, year six, seven. Only been to the one bowl game, but that was the awesome season where they, they won uh, double-digit games. This team could be headed back to a bowl game, which is going to extend Dino's time there. And that would be awesome because Dino Baber is the man. I, as a person, absolutely nothing I can say about him other than great things. I would love to see this all work out. I'd love to see Syracuse go and bowling again. But for now, that is going to wrap it up for us here. Thor, if people want to find you and the great work you're doing, what's the best way they can do that? You can find me on Twitter at ThorKU, or you can find my work on betting pros predominantly, a little bit of fantasy pros, but mostly on betting pros. And we got a whole bunch of it. You know, the show with Thomas, we got uh, shows with Bogman, middle of the week. We got a, our live show, Thomas and I do with, with um, uh, Mike Farrell on Saturday's kickoff show, leading into the kickoffs for an hour and a half, go through every game, deep dive, betting deep dive on every single game, DFS props, uh, different stuff like that. And then my updated power rankings are already submitted to, to the editor. Those should be up either tonight or tomorrow morning. I'll have week one notes up on betting pros on either on either on Monday or on, on Tuesday morning um, with, with all my adjusted lines for every game this week against the Las Vegas spread and then going through and talking about uh, some, some injuries, some notable things, also some games that you're going to want to hit early on in the week. I, we hit on some injuries and, and this year, several injuries didn't get to all of them. Like for instance, Tyler Shuck, Texas Tech starting quarterback. He is hurt again. He hurt his left shoulder again and is going to be missing what looks to be uh uh, at least a month so like th- they got some issues that there were some other quarterback injuries as well uh check that one out we couldn't we didn't have time to get to all of them uh on th- this episode but check that out and we'll, we'll go through the rest and and, and what how those are affecting lines all right thank you so much as always thor we will catch you right back here next week and of course 
You can check out the Wednesday show that will drop on podcast platforms of your choice, specifically whatever you're listening or watching this show on. You'll be able to catch the Wednesday show there. And of course, Saturday mornings with Scott. Mm, Saturday mornings with Mike. Saturday mornings with Mike. Saturday mornings with Mike. Guys, that's going to do it for us here. Best of luck this week. And Sean Tucker for Heisman. Go Syracuse. <laughs>